Welcome back to the Core EM Podcast. Core content for anyone, anywhere, and just in time. This is the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue EM Residency Program. This week, I want to discuss a study that was hotly debated and discussed in the foam world a couple of weeks back, and that we discussed in our resident journal club this week, and that's the Pezit trial. Now, many of you have probably heard about this and probably have already read the study. In fact, some of you may have even have had journal club in your own institution on it. It was featured in a number of foam blogs, including some of my personal favorites, EM Nerd, St. Emlyn's, EM Lit of Note, and of course, Rebel EM. It was also featured in a mid-month update on MRAP. Now, the study in question here is Pardoni et al., Prevalence of Pulmonary Embolism Among Patients Hospitalized with Syncope. This was published in the New England Journal of Medicine. The acronym PESIT comes from PE and Syncope Italian Trial, and it reported in its conclusions that one in six admitted patients with syncope had a PE during their evaluation. Usually, I like to kick off these podcasts by delving into the actual article and dissecting the numbers. But as I mentioned before, a lot of those great foam posts already did that work. They already delved into these numbers. So instead of doing that again, we'll drop a link to all of those in the show notes. Instead, we'll just start with a brief refresher and then dive into some of the major issues. So the study enrolled 560 patients who were admitted to the hospital for syncope. All of these patients were then risk stratified for PE via the modified wells, plus or minus a D dimer, depending on how high or low risk their well score was. If the dimer was positive or their wells was high enough, they either got a CTPA or a VQ scan performed. 330 patients were ruled out without imaging, and of the other 230 that needed some form of imaging, 97 had a PE diagnosed either by CT pulmonary angio or by VQ scan. That gives us a 17.3% prevalence of PE in the admitted syncope patients, or 1 in 6. Now, if those numbers don't jive with your clinical practice, it's because they probably don't jive with anybody's clinical practice in the United States. It's unlikely that this is what you're seeing in the patients that you take care of. During the enrollment period, the study actually had 2,584 patients present with syncope, not the 560 that are included here. And the reason that all of those patients are included is because 72% or almost 1,900 patients were discharged home. Now, that excluded them from the study because they were only looking at admitted patients. Automatically, what this means is that we're not talking about an undifferentiated syncope group. We're talking about a group of patients, the 560, that the clinicians thought were high risk for something bad to be going on. This is a critical concept here as the study team here selected out a high risk group. Automatically, there's a selection bias that's introduced. Are these results externally valid? At least in the U.S., I can tell you that the group of patients we admit to the hospital aren't nearly as sick as this group appears to be. The routine in our hospital system, and I'm guessing in many places, is not to discharge 72% of patients who present with syncope. Now, I'm not arguing that it was incorrect for them to send home 72%. I wish that we could be doing that. Just that the population of syncope patients that you admit are very different than this group. If you look back at some of the big U.S.-based trials looking at PE prevalence, it usually finds a number in the 5 to 10% range. So the prevalence in this study of 17% doesn't match up. Additionally, the group of patients who were admitted and then found to have PEs were sicker than the group that didn't have PEs. The patients with PE were more likely to have tachypnea, tachycardia, hypotension, active cancer, previous venous thromboembolic disease, and clinical signs of DVT. 
in essence, what we see in this study is a group of patients that aren't undifferentiated for syncope. It was a group of patients who had signs and symptoms of PE and in many cases should or would have prompted a PE workup. The question is, why didn't they have that workup done? It seems to me that the ED evaluation here wasn't complete. I wouldn't admit a tachypneic, tachycardic, hypotensive patient with signs of DVT without getting further imaging to find an answer. The signs of DVT is particularly troublesome because the patients didn't even have duplexes done to see whether they actually had a DVT or not. It seems that in this study, much of the evaluation of syncope was deferred to the inpatient side. It's almost as if the ED was simply here to evaluate whether the patient was well enough to go home or sick enough to stay, but didn't do any of the workup to see why they were so sick that they needed to stay. There's some issue with the way PE was diagnosed as well. Most of the imaging was by CTPA, and it should be noted that the majority of PEs found on CT are the ones that we would treat. These aren't debatable ones. Only about five out of the 72 PEs found on CT were the subsegmental variety, although another 19 were segmental. However, 24 patients were found to have PE on VQ scan, and about 50% of the defects were in the low range, 1 to 25%. Now, we don't know how many of these patients were distributed within that range. And of course, VQ is known to be not the best study for making this diagnosis, which is why we typically rely on the CT pulmonary angio. The problem is that CT pulmonary angio isn't without its own issues. The specificity of CTPA really depends on who's reading your CT. Back in 2015, Hutchinson published a study in the American Journal of Radiology that showed that up to 26% of CTs initially read as positive for PE were overread as being negative for pulmonary embolism when they were reviewed by chest radiologists. As much as we'd like to think the CTPA is perfect, it falls well short of that mark. The PESIT study was multicenter, which is nice, but it wasn't multinational. And that's important because, as mentioned earlier, it's likely that the culture of syncope admissions is different in different parts of the world. Again, this makes the results difficult to apply to your patient population. This brings us back to one of the big points, which was the reported rate in this study of PE and syncope patients. The authors state that PE was identified in one in six hospitalized patients. And I think the phrasing and the numbers here aren't done correctly. Either they need to recognize that PE was actually found in only 97 of over 2,400 patients who were evaluated for undifferentiated syncope since so many patients were sent home, or clearly they should state that this was a very select group of patients who were admitted. Perhaps the conclusion should read more along the lines of, in a subgroup of older, sicker patients with syncope, we found a 17% PE prevalence. Something closer to this conclusion reflects the fact that this is a very select group of patients and this shouldn't be applied broadly. Now, if you take the full group of syncope patients, we see that 97 out of about 2,400 had PE and that's about a 4% rate. Now, granted that some of these patients who weren't worked up for PE may have had one since they were discharged without that workup, but there was enough follow-up done here and presumably the patient didn't have a significant PE. A 4% PE rate makes a lot more sense in a general syncope population. And as we stated, when we look historically at U.S. studies, it falls somewhere in the 5 to 10% range of all comers evaluated for PE. We also don't know if all of these patients' PEs were clinically relevant or causal for the patient's syncopal episode. Now, there's a logical sense to this. The patient syncopized. I found a PE. 
PE is known to be a cause of syncope, so the PE I found must have caused this particular episode of syncope. Unfortunately, this is a fallacious argument. The PE may simply have been, as Rory Spiegel puts it, an innocent bystander. Perhaps the patient had a different cause of syncope and the PE happened to be there, which we know is going to happen. Maybe it's just that older patients with these other comorbidities have about a 17% prevalence of PE at baseline. This has nothing to do with the syncope that they presented with. As mentioned earlier, this study garnered a lot of attention in the foam world. Why? I think there are a number of reasons. For the last five years, we've worked really hard to control our PE workups, especially in the U.S., The results of this study, or at least the way the results are framed, are going to push some the other way to perform more workups. Aside from exposing the patient to radiation and contrast, which may be harmful, we also are going to detect more inconsequential clots, leading to increased downstream testing and exposure to harmful anticoagulants. Let's not forget as well how all of these scans are going to bottleneck REDs and as a result, threaten other patients with delays. These results may also set us back in the way that we work up syncope. For the last decade, we have worked to pare back the syncope workup. In the past, non-con head CTs and troponins were routinely asked for, but we've shown the disutility of these tests. Now, this pops up. But once you dive into this article and really dissect it, I think it's clear that the author's conclusion is way overstated and incorrect. So what's the bottom line? This article shouldn't actually change anything in the way that we work up syncope. In patients who present with syncope with signs and symptoms concerning for PE, work them up. If your history and physical doesn't key you into PE or you have another explanation, don't pursue the diagnosis of PE. Well, that's all for the Core EM podcast this week. Come on over and check out the site at coreem.net where we've got a ton of great core content emergency medicine. We'll have a core post up on Wednesday and a journal update up on Thursday. Don't forget to check out our Facebook page, follow us on Google Plus, and on Twitter where our handle is at core underscore EM. Thanks, and see you all next week.